Letter 6 of Letters from Hell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Marie Christian. Letters from Hell by Valdemar Adolf Thisted. Translated by L.W.J.S. Letter 6 Let me speak to you of Lily, but I fear memory will scarcely separate the child Lily from the woman into which she blossomed. Remember that I see her with the knowledge of a later period. I neither saw nor knew her aright, there being nothing so blind as the carnal gaze. She was a Creole, Delicate and lovely were her features, though not perhaps molded after any received type of beauty. Her hair black and glossy, her eyes like stars of so deep a blue that the cursory beholder believed them black, and veiled with lashes behind which her soul at times would appear to withdraw from your gaze as a pure nymph descending into her own limpid depth. Her figure was slight and airy, perfectly harmonious, not wanting in fullness, but tenderly shaped, not tall, with hands and feet of the smallest, and rarely beautiful. Such was Lily. But those eyes of hers were her greatest charm. Who does not know the soft enchantment of Creole eyes? Lilies even now have a power that penetrates my soul. Never in all eternity shall I forget that tender brightness sparkling with tearful laughter, that gaze half sad and yet so full of promise, that at any time it bound my heart. The southern temperament is generally accredited with caprice and passionate self-will, but nothing was more unlike Lily than this. No doubt there was warmth in her nature, but its glow was gentle and deep, never kindling to passion, but always yielding its own beneficent radiance. Capriciousness was utterly foreign to her, but she knew her own mind concerning anything she considered to be right, anything her conscience had recognized as due to truth or charity. In such things her will was unbendable, though in aught else she was submissiveness itself. Self-love she knew not, her soul's deepest need being surrender. Poor child, you could not have been placed more terribly, all but given over to one who was an egotist to the core of his being. She was all heart. Later on, some physician discovered what he called an organic defect. Lily's heart was too large, he said. Nothing more likely than this. I never knew a disposition so prone to feeling, so easily touched as hers. She was brimming with affection, love being the only reward she claimed. As a child, a loving word, a look even, could so move her that she would fling herself on your neck, whispering her gratitude as she nestled in your embrace. Her sympathy at all times was easily roused. The trials and strivings of others, their joys and sorrows, their happiness or misfortune, were all that interested her most. She seemed to move in love and pity. At times I could not but tell myself how ill-fitted she was for a self-seeking world. Her tender nature was often hurt in intercourse with others, and, feeling repulsed, 
she would shrink back within herself. That is why, after all, she was a lonely child, satisfied to commune with herself and with me, wretch as I was. Added to this, hers was a wonderful simplicity of nature, simplicity of spirit, I ought to say. I doubt not that had she lived to extreme old age, she would never have departed from the heart of a child. Nothing was more easy than to talk her over to anything, provided only it did not clash with her sense of right. She never dreamt that anybody could be deceiving her. Once or twice I frivolously put her simple-mindedness to the test, but felt so humbled by her utter trust that I never did it again. Incarnate shamelessness would have bowed to her holy innocence. She was one of those beautiful beings one meets with but rarely in life, who walking on earth keep their skirts pure, no matter what defilement be about them. I verily believe you might have dragged her through slums of sin and vice, and she would have come forth with innocence unharmed. Her soul somehow was above offense. She never thought that anybody could be wanting to do wrong. Her eyes never opened to the appalling fact that it is a wicked world in which men live. She knew what sin was, her pious mind having its own childlike ideas concerning it. But she never knew vice, as with fleeting footstep she followed her transient course of life. I should wrong myself if I said that I never saw this till now. I felt it even then, corrupt as I was. How little there was in common between us. She all spirit, I all flesh. Again I say, poor little Lily. She did not acquire much knowledge in life, her learning being restricted to the fewest of objects. That history was her favorite pursuit would seem natural, since history treats of men, of their deeds and conflicts, their happiness and grief, moving her heart to sympathy. And she cared for a book only inasmuch as it spoke of her fellows, otherwise she saw but dead letters which wearied her. In mechanical attainments, therefore, she was ever backward. It was next to impossible to teach her the use of a foreign tongue. Living a life of feeling, she could not but become contemplative and somewhat dreamy, reason inclining to sit apart in her. We seriously endeavored to shake her up, as the phrase goes, but it is a thankless task to attempt anything against nature. Wanting in communicativeness, she was by no means. To me, at least, she was ready to confide her every thought. The stories of the Bible had ever been those she loved above all others. They had been the first food of her waking soul, and never anything impressed her more deeply than the death on the cross of the Son of God, who loved sinful men and gave his life for them. That love and that suffering formed her earliest impressions and the most lasting. Again and again she would read the holy record, and surely an angel has counted the tears she shed while so engaged. Unlike in aught else as she was to Mary Magdalene, she was like her in burning love for her crucified Lord. Later on the history of the Crusades moved her, the Crucified One was her first love, 
and stories of the Crusades first stirred her enthusiasm, the idea seizing on her so powerfully that the course of a few weeks seemed to add years to her growth. The enthusiasm cooled, but the thought remained, and thenceforth the Holy Land, where the Son of God had lived and died, was the object of her dearest longing. She would at first lend expression to her feelings, but she suffered for it. Her little girlfriends nicknamed her the Lady Crusader, and even if they held their peace, they could not refrain from teasing her by signs, holding up their fingers crosswise on meeting her. She, poor little thing, of course understood their amiable meaning. The Savior's cross thus early had become her cross. The mockery hurt her deeply, and she was not again heard to speak of the Holy Land. But where the lips must be silent, the heart perhaps clings to its longing all the more ardently. Would it not seem that she was little fitted for this world? Not for my world at any rate. Had I not been such a hopelessly miserable fellow, I must have known it. Her very look must have told me. Beautiful and pure as an angel. Beauty and its enjoyment have ever appeared to me as the very prizes of life. But never have I known anything more simply beautiful than the entire devotion of this child soul in purity and truth and unspotted by self-love. Some years passed away when my mother again thought fit to interfere. That won't do, she said. You anticipate future happiness and thereby will lose it. You must separate. You had better travel for a couple of years. I will watch over Lily meanwhile and do what I can towards bringing her up for your delight. Yes, leave us, my son. The time will come when you will see the wisdom of my counsel. I could not but own that my mother was right, and declared myself ready to make the effort in the interest of future happiness, or more correctly, of promised enjoyment. It had become desirable, just about that time, that one of the partners of the firm should go to South America. It would be a lengthened absence. My old uncle could not undertake it. My cousin, junior partner like myself, did not care for the journey. I, therefore, yielding to my mother's private representations, offered to go. Lily dissolved in tears on taking leave. My mother's severest influence scarcely could bring her to reason. I, too, was moved, but took comfort in selfish thought. Wait, little woman, we shall meet again, and future delight will be greater that present loss. I had stayed away longer than was expected. I often had news from home, letters too from Lily, wonderful letters. An angel might have written them, those delicately tender productions, and nothing could be more foreign to my own nature than the lovely thoughts expressed in those, shall I say, ethereal letters. But they did not sink into my heart, they only touched my senses. Surely it was an evil delight which said, this tender blossom, so pure and innocent, is yours. You will teach her one day that she too is flesh and blood, and a child of earth. I returned at last and saw her again. I was charmed. No, that is not the word. I was enchanted. Graceful and slender, unutterably lovely, with maiden blushes and veiling her eyes. Just quitting childhood. 
She was not quite fifteen. But as I pronounced her name, she raised those wondrous eyes and looked at me. Joy trembled in tears and echoed through my soul. It was but a look, but I was satisfied. I clasped her to my heart. Shall I call them happy, the days which now had dawned? They were happy, but not without a sting. Seeing Lily was as though reading her letters. Again and again I felt she was the child of another sphere. How should she satisfy me? Even while I clasped her in rapture, I knew her aims and mine were far, far apart. As childlike as ever, hers was the same yielding tenderness. But her very affection filled me with regret. The love in which she moved was unknown to me. She and I were different as day and night, as heaven and hell. Some time passed away. Again my mother stepped between us, reminding me of the cause of good sense and propriety. The child must be left free to develop. Our constant intercourse would end in her treating me as a brother always, and that was not what I wanted. It was desirable that I should take bachelor's rooms, and the less I showed myself at home, the better. For the rest, I could make myself as agreeable to Lily as I pleased, and as might be compatible with the solemn promise not to speak to her of love till she should have completed her seventeenth year. My mother always had her way. I promised and took rooms. I saw she was right. Lily had not unfolded in my presence as she might have done. There was a change on my leaving, and a new relationship promised to grow out of the old one. She ceased being the mere child, her natural surrender clothing itself with maidenly reserve. I was obliged to be careful, and that was well. It was a time of trial, and continued so in spite of its own share of anticipating bliss. I remembered Annie and made inquiries. Her father had died. What had become of her, no one could tell. My mother could have told I doubted not, but I dared not ask her. I tried to stifle recollection, and with Lily's unconscious assistance I succeeded. There was sorrow on the horizon. Lily drooped. She had always been delicate, and waking womanhood found her more delicate still. Our utmost care gathered round her, and we resolved to winter in the South. Lily had grown thoughtful. The child was trying to understand herself, dreamily musing within her soul. She seemed more lovely than ever, beset with the riddles of her deepest being. But delight in her yielded to anxiety. Thus we three, my mother, Lily, and myself, moved southward. It was a time of blessing, this period of my life appearing steeped in light and showing of darkness only what seemed needful to enhance the light. Lily's state of health grew less alarming. A year passed rapidly. I will not say without spot or blemish as far as it concerned myself, yet without leaving any real scar on the tablets of memory. It was all but paradise. But now, now it is hell. How happy we were, we three together. My mother, amiability itself. I, anxious to be amiable. 
and Lily lifting her fair white cup to receive heaven's dew. She was happy, and she showed it. How gracefully she raised her drooping head. How radiant were her looks, drinking in the riches of beauty about her. Not only bodily, but mentally, she unfolded charm upon charm in the genial atmosphere, half a year working a marvel of change. Womanhood had risen in the blushes of dawn, sweet and fragrant as a rose just opening her chalice to the dewy kisses of morning. In her relation to me also childhood receded, as tender and submissive as ever, there was an unconscious dignity about her. She was no longer the petted darling, living only in the affection that surrounded her. But she had found riches of life, fathomless and beautiful, within her own being. And before long, she, whose natural gifts of mind and heart far surpassed my own, had gained an ascendancy over me as complete as indescribable. Gladly I yielded myself to this influence. It was a new delight, nobler and purer than any I had tasted before. Lily raised me above myself. I hardly knew it at the time. But new sensations, new interests, new hopes filled my heart, teaching me gradually that there were better things in life than gratifying self and pleasing the senses. Day by day intercourse with her refined and ennobled my nature. I was in a fair way of becoming good, of becoming human, let me say. Her own eyes had opened to the beauty of the world, other beauty than I had ever known, and by degrees I learned to see things with her eyes. But her look and longing continually soared beyond this world, which could not satisfy her deepest desire. And can you believe it? She drew me after her, what power, what influence in so tender, so fragile a creature? It cost her no effort. I followed, followed, as though her soul were a beacon in darkness. I listened to her voice as to the guidance of a prophetess, directing my sight to a rapture of bliss. A new world, a new world of the spirit, open to my wondering gaze, a vision of life eternal dawning slowly beyond. I do remember them, those blissful hours lifting my soul from the dust. Ah, God in heaven, what hours, what recollections, and now, what despair! But under that gentle influence I began to look backward also, and to feel ashamed, ashamed of the love I had felt for Lily. It was love, yes, such as I could give, disgracing that sacred name, a love which would have frightened her to death had she known it. She was spared the horror of that discovery. Another spring was at hand. We were thinking of moving homewards. Lily had suffered lately from somewhat alarming symptoms, spasms of the heart, the doctor said. But we would not disquiet ourselves, hoping nothing serious would supervene. Lily within these eighteen months had blossomed to such fullness of life, her measure overflowing, as it were, with youth and beauty, and adding to our happiness daily. It had rendered us fearless. But a strange anxiety took hold of Lily, showing itself whenever we spoke of returning home. I tried to discover what moved her, 
and to my utter astonishment it appeared that an unsatisfied longing filled her heart. That old desire of her childhood to see the Holy Land had suddenly possessed her afresh, or perhaps the thought, as a hidden spark, had lived within her all these years. She entreated me not to take her home before she had set foot on the sacred soil, be it for ever so short a time. She could never rest, she thought, till she had been there, and if I would but take her thither, she would bless me for it, even in heaven. I viewed her desire merely in the light of a childish fancy, even a foolish whim. Yet in my secret heart I admired the faithful persistence with which evidently she had clung to that early love. It touched me, and I resolved as far as lay with me that her wish should be gratified. Indeed, she might have asked for a far more foolish thing, and I could not have found it in me to deny her. When she begged for anything with that submissive angel look of hers, who could have resisted? I consulted my mother. She demurred, but eventually agreed. We had spent those early spring days cruising about the Ionian Isles, and before long our faces were set to the east. Lily thanked me with a look, a sweet loving look, which remained deathless in my heart. Yea, and it will burn there with a pain unquenchable throughout the ages of hell. But from that hour a heavenly peace had settled on her. Silence had fallen upon her, but she was perfectly happy. A few words more and my story will be ended. Why should I add to my grief by speaking about it? But retrospect is not the least of hell's torments. We touched at the coast of Palestine and disembarked. As a queen I led her to the land of her desire, myself being the first of her servants. But her thoughts were not of queenship. To her own mind she was but a humble pilgrim. Slowly we proceeded from one sacred spot to another. Lily's illness was more serious than we guessed, but she would not hear of rest. She was suffering from heart disease, which had rapidly developed. The end was as sudden as unlooked for. At Bethlehem, in a convent which received us for charity's sake, she breathed her last. A few days before she had completed her seventeenth year. She died with the satisfied smile of a saint on her face, for her desire had been given her. Death with her had lost its terror. As one glorified she lay, pale but in heavenly beauty, her hands folded on her virgin bosom where the world had not entered. Perhaps you will scarcely believe my words, that even in those last hours, and though I sickened with the sense of certain loss, she had power to lift me high above perishable grief. A fearless trust had come to me, that no matter what affliction remained on earth, the place was prepared where I might be united with her, where there is no more sorrow and no more pain, where death has passed away. Terrible Delusion Her last words fell on my heart as a blessing from the upper world. Thanks, Philip. I am happy. God be with you. I was stricken with grief, but my inmost soul was buoyed with the hope that soon I too might rise beyond the reach of sorrow. 
in a holy kiss her last breath had mingled with mine. But scarcely was she gone when the old self-willed nature within me rose. Goaded to despair, I was wild with the knowledge of bereavement. What a treasure I had lost, both of beauty and affection. What riches of promise, of joys untasted. And how near I had been to dreams realized. But a few days and she would have been mine. As a wild beast I raged, defrauded of its prey. She, she had escaped me. This then was the reward of years of patience and self-denial. In her I had saved up treasures, pleasures untold, to lose it all by a single blow. And yet, was it not meant it should be so? Should I not rejoice that she was spared the sad future that awaited her, the unholy touch of my passion? I could not rejoice then, Lily, but I think I could now if I were not in hell. My mother, too, was grieved, but she did not lose her composure. She sorrowed more for me, I think, than for the loss of her we had loved. We buried Lily in the Holy Land. She sleeps beneath a sycamore, not far from the spot where the Savior of men was born. We turned homeward. On our journey back, I found Martin. Thus I became the man I was, I gave myself up to the world and lived only for its pleasures. I loved no one but myself, excepting perhaps my mother and the boy I had adopted. I say perhaps, for that I really loved them I cannot now be sure. I conformed to outward Christianity, but my heart was far from it. True, I join not the sinners who openly sit in the seat of the scornful, laughing at all things sacred. But after Lily's death, there was in reality nothing left I counted sacred, unless it be an occasional recollection of my own childhood left far, far behind. For at times I did remember those early days at Aunt Betty's knee, but I closed my heart driving these thoughts away from it. Life dealt gently with my mother. She preserved her charms and continued the perfect lady, admired by all. She had always been pious, but she took to being saintly now, trying hard to show me the way of life. However, she could not bring me further than that. For her sake, I paid proper attention to Christian observances, and for my own sake, to common decency in the pursuit of pleasure." Let me stop here and rest from the pain of confession. Do not imagine that confessing with us is followed by relief. I am in hell, where there is no more repentance, no more sorrow for sin. End of letter 6。Thank you for listening, and if you like this, please subscribe and consider liking my Facebook page and joining my group. Jesus answers prayer. May God bless your day. Hola, somos Mark y Pearl Lambert y somos los ministros de Jesús responde las oraciones. Si le gusta este ministerio, por favor ayúdenos a apoyarlo. El enlace para donar se encuentra en la descripción a continuación. Gracias y Dios te bendiga.